0: What's going on, guys? You're listening to the Modern Day Sniper Podcast. You got Phil Vallejo here and Kalen Wojcik, your hosts. Our goal here at the Modern Day Sniper Podcast is to help you become the modern-day rifleman. Um, You know, for the Modern Day Sniper Podcast, you know, this podcast is meant for that modern-day rifleman looking for relevant information in the art of long-range shooting. Whether you're a law enforcement, military sniper, hunter, long-range competitor, or even just a long-range enthusiast, you are listening to this podcast because deep down inside, your goal is to master the craft of being a precision rifleman. Kaylin and I dubbed the concept putting mindfulness behind the rifle, which means understanding and being conscious of your overall intentions. To meet the second that you connect with that rifle, um, that understanding that ego is the enemy. In order for us to evolve, and grow, uh, we must lower our ego to learn. Um, and and you know, uh, Kaylin and I are, are mindful that. That is a big barrier for a lot of uh, shooters trying to elevate their craft or elevate their their uh, their game. Um, another, you know, concept of uh, modern day sniper is understanding that it's a connection between your mind and your rifle that you never thought was possible. I think we dubbed that actually in the last uh, yeah. the last podcast, which was uh, pretty nice. So, um, again, you know, whether you're a hunter looking for this information. Um, you know, willing to extend your range, um, on ethical kill shots, uh, you know, long range competitor looking to, uh, you know, find your way toward the podium or, you know, that go-to sniper, you know, where that, uh, information hub, hopefully to, to dish out that relevant information because, uh, you know, there's just a lot of bad information out there, a lot of regurgitation without any actual truths. Um, and then that's one thing that you'll find with the modern day sniper podcast is, Kaylin and I are here just sharing our experiences and our truths of what we found. Um, But ultimately what we want to do is use um, this uh, platform to share with you our experiences. So you can use that as a baseline and go out there, but ultimately go out there and you guys go and find your own truths. Um, Because at the end of the day, you know, that you're going to learn a lot more from a miss, your misses and stuff like that. um, than by just listening to, to Kaylin and I talk, here on the modern day cyber podcast. So welcome to uh, the modern day cyber podcast.
1: What's up guys. I am super glad to be doing another episode with you. And you know, last time we, last time we did like a little bit of a free flow, um, uh, more conversational tone, uh, talked a lot about, you know, mindfulness and some theory and stuff. And, um, we're going to come back to a little bit more of a technical podcast this time. We're going to talk about uh shooter's checklists and, how they've evolved, um, what, how many checklists do we have? Because both Phil and I, um, you know, we both have the same sort of backgrounds, but at the same time, we've also evolved into our own methodology with, with regards to uh, not only the processes that we use individually, but the processes that we uh, pass on to the students. So when, when, did you, when did you realize that you needed a checklist? At what point in time?
0: Ooh, um, the checklist for me started just, I mean, just like, I think any pig, um, again, for you guys, new listeners, pig stands professionally instructed gunman to Marine that has not been through scout sniper school yet. So as I transitioned from being a regular Marine line Marine to a, um, a pig and a scout sniper platoon, we were given all this, what we call knowledge, right. And the Bible and it's like, Hey, know this stuff, you know, like verbatim to the T, right and uh, memorized it, memorized it, and, and didn't really understand the why, right, until we went to the range, and then now we're interfacing and, and connecting with the M40A3 at the time. It's like, okay, like, now I know why I have this checklist memorized verbatim in my head, right? But still, it you know, it was one thing to regurgitate it, but then it was another thing to actually remember and apply it when I was actually at the range. Does that make sense? Sure does. And, and, it, and it probably didn't even... Con- connect to me until maybe um, a few hours into the range or even to the second or third um, time that we went to the range.
1: You go through the motions until, until you understand the, the, the reason why you're going through the motions. Um, I started, I started instilling a checklist into the students at the schoolhouse uh, when I was teaching um, because you could tell that they were forgetting things, right? They were missing things. Um, they they weren't because the stress the stress level is really elevated, right? The stress level is elevated because you know you get screamed at, you're to, being told to you know move super fast, and at the same time, to apply these very very fine technical motor skills that involve a system like it's a systematic approach and if you don't approach things systematically we're going to miss stuff and those missed things are going to cause us to miss targets and so I kept telling the students like mental checklist you got to put this into your mental checklist put it in your mental checklist and then I came to the conclusion one day like well you know what if their mental checklist is missing this thing or what if they're not you know because because of that stress level okay well i'm going to change this up so um i made them a little checklist of the fundamentals of marksmanship everything from uh, how to build a shooting position to the observer's checklist because you know we use we use observers right so there's a lot of communication that occurs between the shooter and the observer and that stuff really needs to be streamlined it it needs to be streamlined to the point where you're only speaking with very, very short, small words that are easy to easily to understand in a time of stress. And so that has a process to it. And then what happens after the shot, that also has a process to it. And so I gave them this checklist that I made up and um, I had them laminate it to their sketch kits. And eventually that became something else that, that turned into, okay, well, let's put this in your flight crew checklist. Right, so then the flight crew checklist, guys. That's like a big. It was like um they were kind of like laminated, not laminated, but they were like plastic sleeves um, in a small, like uh, five, four by eight, or whatever it was. And then you would slide all your your uh, your checklists in there, your report formats, your casualty evacuation stuff, and all the things that you needed to have reference to in the event that the time was required to use it, right, so yeah, we do try to memorize a lot of this stuff, but when I'm sitting down to do like a, a nine line for a you know air asset, I need to make sure I get that stuff right because I'm not a joint terminal <laughs> attack controller right I'm not going to get it right the first time, so I need a checklist and so that's what it evolved into, and then i I carried that on through because it's effective it's it's really effective because once again, kind of like going back to our last episode, you recite that checklist over and over and over again, it's, um, you know, I equate it to flying an airplane. Like you do a flow check in the airplane and that flow check is, is you checking all of the systems you're checking the mechanical systems, of the aircraft, you're checking your gauges, you're checking your instruments and it's a flow across the cockpit. And then it all ends up right back in your lap and it's a circle, right? It's a flow check. And that's really what we're doing with a shooter's checklist. Don't you think?
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. I think this is a perfect, um, Segue from our previous episode, uh, talking about you know the what we, I think, eventually toward the end of it, decided to call like kind of the four phases of a evolution of a shooter, you know. Um, and this is how you take a phase three shooter, someone that is uh consciously competent to unconsciously competent, Mm -hmm. you know, building that essentially checklist to where now you know it's you know, quote unquote, muscle memory, right. Um, and we've been getting hit up, I'm, I'm sure I know I have, uh, been getting hit up on the shooter's checklist for a uh, while. Cause I reference it a lot in my, a lot of my videos, like, Hey, shooter's checklist, shooter's checklist. And then, you know, now finally it's like, Hey Phil, what the hell is your shooter's checklist? Um, you know, the, like you said, the one thing that as an instructor, you know, now that I've been doing this for so long, um, and I feel like where we separate ourselves from the other instructors and other, uh, um, com- our competitors, um, is understanding the basic level, um, necessities of a, of a just basic student, right. Mm-hmm. Overlooking things like, like I said, a shooter's checklist, you know what I mean? There's probably a lot of shooters out there that are really great shooters, um, that cannot essentially, talk to other people about what they're doing. They're just, they just kind of, they're just doing it right yeah. it, without any rhyme or reason. And they're re- they're really good at it, but they just don't know how to, uh, regurgitate it or it's like, Hey man, I just put the crosshairs on the target and shoot. You know what I mean? <laughs> like as, as easy as that. And, mm-hmm. and, and there's people and there's students out there that want a deeper understanding of why, uh, for instance, I was just at the range today with Nicole and you know, the first couple of times I took her, I dialed her the elevation and everything and stuff like that. Got her hitting some targets. And then today she really wanted to know, like, okay, well, where the hell are you getting these numbers from? Right. <laughs> my mills And I was like, okay, well, this is more these this is, you know, the angle that I'm moving. It's like, okay, hey, when you dial up the elevation, your scope comes down because we need to offset the barrel to compensate for bullet drop. Mm-hmm. She was like, Okay, I get that, but where the hell are these numbers coming from? Like yeah. where are these like where, where are you getting eight point six from? It's like, oh, so I ran it through a ballistic calculator. I was like, okay, someone a lot smarter than me created this ballistic app. As long as I input as long as I fill in the blanks correctly, right? It's gonna give me an output. Mm-hmm. Right. And yep. so then um, toward the second half of the day or second box of ammo, what I had her do was I had her um, dial her own targets using the Hornady Ford off and she shot out the ten eighteen. Uh, pretty cool. <laughs> nice
1: man. That's uh, so, awesome.
0: Yeah, it was it was it was but you know, and I, like midway through, I had to remember to disconnect myself from what I know to what she probably knows. That's, you know what I mean? And that's, and a that's the key. That's the huge thing, that's, man. That's a big part of being an instructor versus a teacher, right? That's it's true. Knowing that, okay, like, hey, I need to really like, go, uh, I need to re- really rem- like forget everything and remember where my aha moment was, right? And, and try to share that with my, my students. And
1: that's where a
0: well-built checklist
1: will come into play. Yes. Yep. And and so like a, as an example, so we talked about it before the podcast and we discussed, okay, Phil, wh- so what's your checklist? What's my checklist? And where's the differences in between the two? You know, I, like some of us, some of us accomplish, just like you said, you know, some of us accomplish the same things, but it's difficult to break down either beforehand or after the fact, what did you do to get there? And that's what I think where you're trying to get at is like, yeah, you can do it. But then to try to tell somebody how you got it done is a totally different story. Yeah. And so that's the birth of the checklist. So um I think we're going to break this down right we're going to break this down into three three areas. Uh the shooter's checklist. Uh, which is the body prep or the bo- the positional prep. Yep. And then we've got a rifle checklist and that is going to encompass everything that we do to the rifle itself. And that is optic included guys. So like when we start, when we're talking about the rifle, now the, the optic is a part of the rifle. It is a weapon system. So now it's just a, a whole thing. Right. And then so you called it, uh, the third one is the cycle of operations, which, you, which you're saying, okay, after the shot fires, I just call that the recovery process. It's the exact same thing. We just call it a different, a different term. So I think it's, uh, and this is kind of the way I teach the fundamentals too. Um, I teach the fundamentals and I break them down into three groups. And the first group is body position. Uh, the second group is, is how you aim the rifle, which is Uh, sights, breathing, uh, natural point of aim. And then the third group is trigger control and follow through. Basically like what makes the rifle go bang and then what happens after it goes bang. And so let's talk, let's talk through the shooter's checklist from the body position standpoint.
0: Um, Okay. So the shooter's checklist from the, from the body position standpoint, again, this is, Um, this has evolved from the uh, initial checklist that I was taught and I taught even at sniper school. Right. So again, this is going back out and finding my own truths of what has worked for me and my future students. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, guys, remember, this is again, going to be a baseline for you if you don't have already a baseline, but you know, at the end of the day, take this and, 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 you know, manipulate it into yours. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but so it's a, for, for the body prep checklist or the shooters checklist, um, it's eight different thing. And this is all relating to, uh, the body, a a certain body part of that shooter, right? So step number one is squaring your hips up to the target. Very first and foremost, I'm a firm believer that your natural point of aim, which we will go into here in a little bit. Um, your, your, your natural point of aim stems from your hips. Okay. So once you square your your hips up, your shoulders will naturally follow to where your target's at, right? So now i got my body squared to the target, and then once I do that, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to connect to that rifle. The very first connection point to that rifle is in my rifle or in my shoulder or by placement of where that rifle's at my shoulder. So where they used, this used to be called um, placement of the rifle in the pocket of the shoulder, I actually just my, – my what I teach it as is rifle-to-shoulder connection. For mm-hmm. those that know, uh, Kaylin and I shooting style, we like to break that, put that rifle as medial as possible and as high as possible. Okay. Cause we want to bring that rifle as close under our shooting eye as possible without having to cant our head over to the right. Um, so I, and I realize a lot of people don't like to put it there cause it's uncomfortable. It's on the collarbone. Right. So then I was like, all right, well, let me just, let me just call this rifle, the shoulder connection. So wherever you place that rifle in your shoulder, okay. You know, that's, that's where it's at. Um, but keep in mind, number two and three directly affect each other. Number three is your cheek weld on how you put your face on the gun, right? If Well, I bring my,
1: let ahead. me jump in real quick. So also, the rifle shoulder connection is going to make it really difficult for you. Like if you push that sh- that rifle the way that it was taught, the way that I used to teach it um, – you know, in the pocket of the shoulder, right? Like you'd, you'd have the students to lift up their arm. Okay. Let's find the pocket right underneath the collarbone. But if you put the rifle there, now the rifle, if you, if you look at everything from angles and parallel lines. So if I, if I put the rifle there, I'm pulling the rifle farther away from the center line of my body. And where is my head? My head is on the center line of my body. And my eye is only, is less than an inch right or left of center line. So the farther I pull that rifle from center line away, the more I'm going to have to contort my head to get behind the rifle or to get, uh, achieve a sight picture. I'm also going to limit my ability to stay parallel and square behind the rifle. Yep. So they all, they all go together
0: yeah and and also can't right which you know we'll we'll talk about can't here in a little bit but you know the the more you tilt your head away, you know to yeah. establish your eye relief okay and again all of this goes back to rifle setup um and again some of you guys are probably going to be pulling your rifle apart i'm sorry uh once we once we get this together um but um you know it's just just the way it is so just Trust me, like my rifle has gone through like three or four configurations um, until, you know, until how it's set up now. Um, But so one, we talked about squaring your hips up to your shoulders. Two, rifle to shoulder connection. Three, your cheek weld, right? Notice how, again, I'm referencing body parts of the shooter. And then once I establish my cheek weld and establish kind of my eye relief, right, number four is grip of my shooting hand, right? It gets established. Now I'll kind of expand on the grip of the shooting hand here. Um, Mark Taylor, um, one of uh, Frank Galley's really good friends, just did, really did a really great article. Love on the that mechanic, article. Uh, mechanics of the firing hand. Fantastic. Um, it's it's super great. If you haven't uh, looked at it, um, you know, just check it up on Side, Mechanics of the firing hand. Uh, really, really great article. And um, I, I, we're on the same page with that. So, with the firing hand, right? It, I, I I say it serves us four purposes. One, placement of the trigger finger. Two, control the rifle. Three, uh, pressure back toward the rear. Um, and four is adjusting your cant, right? So um, this kind of goes into like how my bipod. Another question I get is like, hey, how are your bipods like tension supposed to be? Uh, for me, I liked it to where the bipods can be manipulated <clears throat> just by the, my wrist tension with a little bit, I'd say about 80 to 90% of, of force. Right, uh, be applied by the wrists.
1: Yeah, I want to be able to. I want to be able to use my wrist to adjust the cant of the rifle and have yep. the friction of the bipod stop it. Exactly. Right yep. when I let go, it stays there. Exactly. And I'll and I'll I'll throw another one in there, guys. Like if you find we're getting a little bit farther down the road, but like with regard to your bipod cant friction uh, setting, if you're finding yourself having to constantly adjust the cant back as a result of recoil. You need a little bit more friction in the adjustment
0: yes yep okay so again that's step four grip of the shooting hand for purposes control can't placement of the trigger finger and rearward pressure so once uh i establish a grip my shooting hand number five uh five and six kind of happen simultaneously which is a placement of the shooting elbow and the non-shooting elbow and usually when i'm in class this kind of um i what i do is i draw like a little stick figure on the board uh, on the whiteboard and i show hey your shoulders and your elbows should essentially be parallel to each other perpendicular to the line of the bore mm-hmm. yeah is that, so is that is exactly that where
1: you're at? you you gotta you gotta remove any acute or obtuse angles yep. everything's gotta be 90
0: degrees yep because recoil management guys is about the i i, say, I, I call recoil management it's a it's about the game of angles right your goal is to minimize as much angle in your body so that you can come back again, having accountability around, come back on target to be able to see where you miss the more angle that you throw into your body position, the more your natural point of aim is going to be off, the more that you're probably going to be off when you, when you break that shot. And it's as far as uh, where your sight picture ends up after you recover from recoil, mm-hmm. right? The last thing that you want to do, especially if you're hunting and you're, you're, you're with a buddy spotting is you look over to your spot and be like, where did I go? Uh, that's the shame on you. If you, if you're, if you're constantly doing that, because again, a lot of times, and I've, I've already read like three or four uh, messages in my inbox, like, Oh, I thought that I've like, since day one, I've never really controlled the uh, uh, recoil rifle or the uh, recoil of the rifle. I've, I just always thought that it was supposed to do that. It's like, no, <laughs> man, you can control that. Right. Even with, even with big, uh, big guns. Um, it's just understanding how to interface with that rifle. So again, I know. Sorry about the the off tangents, but five and six placement of the shooting elbow and the non-shooting elbow, right? Um, seven is placement of the non-shooting hand. All right. So the non-shooting hand, right, is it manipulates should be manipulating if you do have a a, a rear bag or a sand sock. Okay. Um, now, one thing that I don't want you to get twisted is. And I've, I've I put this in a video probably last summer, and I rep- it's on my YouTube if you guys. It's a Building a Bridge Rifle-to-Shoulder Connection. I talk about how shooters rely too much on the rear bag um, mm-hmm. to support the back of the rifle. And what happens is they disconnect that rifle from the shoulder to rest it on the, on the, on the bag because it gives, gains a little bit more stability in the reticle, yeah. right? The, the problem with that arises from
1: the fact that the bag is made up of compressible material. Yep. Right. So, and that's what we see people fight with constantly. Like if you, if you're constantly having, well, let me back up. So most people believe that, okay, well I've got this sand sock right? I got the sandbag here. So in theory, I should be able to just like rest my rifle on that bag and not do anything to it. Yep. And so what you end up having is a, you can see the shooter's shoulder kind of like Driving and squirming around behind the gun, and what they're doing is, they're, and then you look at their shooting hands, their non-shooting hands, not doing anything, and you're like, dude, you got to squeeze that bag. And it's just all it is really is just training, is training that appendage to do something independent from everything else. And that's yeah. that's really what it is.
0: Yeah. So. Um, I, I always put it in, a, because a lot of my students again are are hunters um that never really shot up iPods. Mm-hmm. They shot a lot of freehand. And you know, for those that are listening and you, you shoot a lot of freehand or even shotguns like what do you use your support hand to do with your shotgun and your rifle? It supports the front, but it also is your aiming, right? You it's it reversed. For your, yeah. Yeah. Now instead of it being up front, you're putting it in the back, but it's still uh, has the same function of you aiming that rifle. You're just steering the back of the rifle, right. With kind of the bag. So what I, what I do instead of squeezing the bag, like three fingers on a bag and two points of contact of my, of my webbing are always on the, on the stock, the web of your hand, you mean the web? Yeah. The web of my hand is always, is always on the stock, my thumb and my, my uh, index finger kind of created a V and the other three are, are squeezing the bag uh, for my elevation. Mm-hmm. But I always maintain positive control of the stock because again, I want that rifle to recoil back into my shoulder. I don't want it to dip down into the bag.
1: Yeah. Cause what happens guys, if you don't do that, w- the process of recoil, it's the rifle is going to travel rearward largely. <clears throat> and then when it meets the resistance of your shoulder um, or your upper body, depending on what position you're in, it's gonna now figure out another way to go and it's gonna follow exactly. the path. the it'll follow the path of least resistance and in that case it'll go downwards and it'll compress the bag yep and if you don't and, have and, that hand there to stop it that's it's right. gonna compress the bag.
0: That's right right um, and and I, and I talked about this, this is kind of going back to step three the cheek weld once you square your shoulders and your hips up and your elbows if everything is squared up, the hardest angle to get rid of is the amount of uh, pressure that you have um, with the with your cheek or your jaw placing down on the cheek riser of your rifle, mm-hmm. right? I think that's yeah, one that's... of the things that you fine tune over time, right? Because um, as a sniper, one thing that I did and taught was you want to keep it up as high so that when you're you're naturally resting, you can still have a good side alignment side picture because you're going to yeah. be in a position you know that position for a long time right but for competitors nowadays you know especially when they start getting a little bit more vertical that's a little uncomfortable for them because now they're they're really slamming their face down to get yeah i relief. so, so I, I i teach them to use more of a jaw weld
1: mm-hmm. yeah and and so it all depends on the student's facial structure too because yep. um like a lot of people can't shoot my rifles because yep. my cheek piece is too high. My yep. my cheekbone is way, way high up. And so what I do is I like to keep my head as vertical as possible. Yep. Um, because I learned from the, from the days of old, our stocks rode, the heel of the stock rode so low from the line of bore. There was such a, there was such a pronounced drop in the comb of the stock that now I'm, i my head is, is almost like I'm looking through the top third of my eye, almost like, you know, your head's pointed down, your chin's tucked to your chest. And now I'm only being able to use like the top third of my field of view. That's not where I want to be. I want to set my rifle up. So that way, um, with most modern rifle stocks and chassis systems, you can adjust the the height of the butt pad to help you with that. And so that's another reason why, Um, you'll always see my butt pad always extended to the max in terms of height. Um, so that way I can keep my head vertical as much as possible. So that way I can see as much as possible and I can just rest. All I'm doing now is just resting my cheek on my cheek piece. And one of the things I used to tell my students is they always ask, well, like how much pressure should I put onto the cheek piece? Hey, you should be able to rest your head. Like you're going to take a nap, Yep. wake up and like, just wake up, open your eyes, and see a sight picture. Yep. That's when it's adjusted properly. And that's the only amount of pressure that you need to be putting into that thing. You don't need to be driving your face into that cheek
0: piece. No, that's where, and that's where a lot of students get their stability uh, comfort from is because when they drive their cheek down to compress that bag, yes, right? It tightens, it tightens up, up. It tightens up that wobble zone. They're like, oh, solid. But again, when they recoil, guess where they end up? Right. High and left of their High sight picture, right? And the other Uh, part
1: of that too is you're changing, you're changing the dynamic of how the rifle recoils. Recoils, yep,
0: absolutely. Yeah. Hey guys. um, So I I get a lot of questions like, hey, when is um, uh, when is the adjustable butt pad of the rifle? Like, when do I adjust? How do I adjust that to my body? Uh, Kalen's got a really good video on the modern day sniper Instagram, Mm -hmm. um, a Q and A. It's I think it's on IGTV. Yep. Uh, that you talk you you talk about that with um i think the verdict stock right yeah the a, verdict and uh, uh, i got a
1: verdict out there i think in a krg yeah um it the cool thing about the verdict is that it's it's infinitely adjustable so yep. like you yep. you don't have any you know uh design parameters that keep you from i mean within reason of course but you can really just kind of tweak that thing to get it to fit exactly the way you want it yeah. I actually like to put a little bit of cant in my butt pad as well because yep. I've changed my shooting style now so that stock I want that stock to be like n- n- under my neck almost yep. you know like as close to my neck as I can and what the butt pad I actually tilt the the heel of the butt pad or the top of the butt pad to my right I'm a right-handed shooter so that the it'll tilt to the right so that way it'll allow me to slide it even even yep. farther closer. And, and for me that works. Uh, and I, I don't have to usually like when, when the rifle recoils, it's, there's no cant in the bipod. It's just, it recoils back and forth. I might jump around like a mill, mill and a half, but to me, that's, that's totally acceptable.
0: Yep. Totally acceptable. So I know we got off track there. Um, but that's good. You know, it's, it's, it's part of our free flowing conversation and understanding that we're not just. I mean, I could, we could finish this episode in in 30 seconds and just a little, you know, rattle off, Hey, this is my shooter's checklist. Right. Um, but I think what's important to hopefully the you you guys are listening is the, the why behind it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, and then number eight is, is leg placement, right? Is, um, how your kind of legs are, legs are placed now, uh, assuming that I'm shooting in a prone all right, and I'm going to go back to uh, all eight of these here in a little bit, and, and talk about how this is universal to any shooting position. But I'll, I'll talk about eight here in a little uh, right now. So leg placement, the last part of my body prep checklist. Um, for if I'm shooting in the prone, I like to have my leg placement nice and wide because what that does is open up my hips to allow me to traverse. Um, you know, especially if I need to move from from one um, shooting area to another if your legs are narrow right it's hard to load those bipods by rolling your body weight into it and it's also harder to, to to move your hips to try to move if you got to traverse from one area to another especially yep. if you're looking for targets
1: yeah and you can and you and you guys all figure out like if you if you spread your legs a little bit wider you can you can drive the rifle with your toes yep you know yep. you can you can still again this is like it's start we start getting into like touching on like acceptable sight picture and Now I'm putting a little bit of muscle into the gun, but there's a point at which that there's, you know, that you're going to figure out what you can and can't get away with. And like, as an example, shooting moving targets or in a multiple target engagement scenario where I've got, you know, targets in array or in an echelon um, or mover, it's a, it's a lot easier for me to drive the rifle with my toes, keeping a neutral upper body. And I'm driving the rifle with my toes from that point
0: yep so guys you know the shooter's body prep list uh checklist um i I, when i teach it in class i i teach it you know um as if i'm i'm shooting prone but all eight of these factors they translate to and they're universal to any shooting position um because you know i kind of modified what we used to be called uh eight common seven common factors to all shooting positions yep um the, the seven common factors wasn't in, in the order of a checklist. It was just seven common factors. And then I just kind of modified it to make it a checklist, right? In order how I would build my shooting position. Um, but now, uh, again, this still applies to if, if I'm standing, kneeling, sitting or prone. So in the standing, if I'm shooting from the standing, all right, again, I still do the same thing, square my hips up. Once I square my hips up, identify my target, then I'm going to bring that rifle and connect to that, a rifle um, with my shoulder. So establish my rifle, the shoulder connection and build my bridge and establish my cheek weld, establish the grip, of my shooting hand. So everything is still free flowing in that order. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: Yes. So the, the only, and I'm, I'm, I'm like, right. I'm right in there with everything. The only thing that I always lead off with though is orient the rifle to the target.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And absolutely. the
1: reason, and the reason that I tell people that is, <clears throat> how many times have we have we seen shooters set up a position oriented in completely the wrong direction oh yeah because their focus their focus is not the target their focus is this, this
0: building their shooting position yeah it's
1: this obstacle yep. they're like ah oh, shit i got to i got to deal with that so then they get hyper focused on the on the on the prop or the barricade or whatever it is and then they do all of that work and then all of a sudden they're like oh i have to do that all over again And what's going to happen? You're going to be under time constraints, so you're going to build a a less than ideal position because your brain is going to be screaming at you, I screwed that up, you know, all that self-deprecating behavior that we talked about in the last podcast. So just give yourself an easy way out. Point the rifle at the target first and foremost, because guess what? The rifle is going to tell you exactly where your body needs to go it's there. That's what it, that's where it's pointed. That's the general direction it's gotta be pointed. And so you build your position around the
0: rifle. Oh, I like it. That's, that's awesome. Uh,
1: I think the only other difference that I have that I teach from there or from you, it's just in a different order. It, it's really just in, in a different order. Yep. It's just a different order. No big, no big discrepancies between the two of us in that, in that regard. Um, the The thing that I want to talk about the grip of the shooting hand. Let's let's jump back to that really quick because um, Mark threw out something that I think we have definitely lost in translation over the years with regard to how much pressure and what function does the shooting hand um, actually provide. Because there was a time, and and it's still there. Like there was a time in which all of a sudden it came out that you should float your hand, um, that you should float your hand on the stock. And this came out, um, with the Magpul DVDs. And I remember I watched it and I was like, nah, that's completely wrong. Like I'm usually, I'm pretty open to a lot of stuff, uh, because I'm, I'm a student myself, man. I learn something new every time I go to the range, but that was one thing I was like, nah, that's wrong. Um, and the reason it's wrong is you're losing one more, uh, point of contact on the rifle because the the, the shooting hand is not just actuating the trigger the shooting hand is doing all kinds of stuff with that rifle just like you talked about those four things right it's it's the trigger finger placement it's controlling the recoil of the rifle it's adjusting the cant and it's causing it's helping you keep the rifle seated into the pocket of your shoulder and so if if i watch a student shoot his rifle And the rifle recoils, and the hand stays in the same position, meaning like the rifle separates itself from the hand. That's not that that's that's incorrect. Um, Now, for all you free recoilers out there, you know this is blasphemous to all you guys, but I really don't care because you're not shooting your rifle the right way. Period. Oh shit, I said it. So, it's not it's not the correct way because you will not be able to go from the rifle that you can accurately shoot in a free recoil manner to a rifle that you can't shoot or shoot at free recoil. The the skills yes. don't translate.
0: I should be ga- be able to give a rifleman a 10 pound platform, right? 300 win mag, whatever, and still shoot the same exact way. Right. With a 25 pound, six millimeter Creedmoor, whatever the whatever case is. Cause I do both. You know okay. what I mean? Um, yeah, the, the, the the, I would say the only difference in the way I drive the rifle is uh, my, the pressure in which the rifle is um, connected to my shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause that's going to depend get,
1: on position to position.
0: Exactly. Um, but the grip stays the same, everything. Yeah. And like this whole pinching the freaking trigger guard and like, if you guys think that's okay, you guys can go ahead and scrap from this podcast, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm, you, you see what I'm talking about? Like the, I do. I guys that pinch like the back of the trigger guard um and i don't know where that even stemmed from um and i I, I i got uh jim's or um i'm not gonna name it i got the instructors um uh kind of his mindset behind teaching that you you know he wants to control uh someone's uh, ability to time time the shot because that's what happens right when you you get someone off their belly they got a really big wobble zone all they're doing mm-hmm. is time their shot yeah that's it right um and it's like, okay, well, you know, it doesn't help when you give them a 10 ounce trigger to learn on really no. basically, you know what I mean? You know, I, I really learned, I think I, I really learned trigger control because of, I utilized a, you know, three to five pound trigger in the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. So I really had to figure out my body position, right. To make sure that man, my reticle s- stays tight in my target zone before I apply pressure to the trigger.
1: Exactly. Yeah. The, the thing is at that point, guys, like, you might not want to admit this, but if you're shooting like that, you are you are essentially utilizing a bench rest rifle in a practical shooting competition. All you're doing is you're balancing that rifle on a shooting bag, lining up the sights without touching the gun and pinching the trigger to make it go bang. You're that's nothing more than bench rest shooting. And at that point in time, you are not testing your ability to shoot as, as like you as a shooter you are simply you're simply doing exactly what a bench rest shooter is it's not a test of the shooter's ability it's a test of the rifle the load and your ability to call wind i mean obviously you got to call wind to be able to hit the target but yep. fundamentally speaking from a shooting perspective that is not shooting
0: so there i said it um yeah we went we went down our our uh, tangent rabbit hole it's all uh, good man that's fine we, so so we were we were essentially just this describing kind of our 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 differences in um, uh, what a lot of people also don't realize is Kalen and I have shot maybe twice together, uh, three times maybe at, at times. matches. Uh, we we only taught once together at a gunwork class, um, but a lot of you know Kalen and I's teachings, you know, stem from our findings. But I think it goes back to the foundation in which him and I came from of you know the uh, marine corps scout sniper program not only being um you know marine corps scout snipers but eventually evolving into marine corps scout cyber instructors and you know understanding that what we were taught was still not enough and mm-hmm. what's cool is seeing us still connect the dots you know um even with our 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 gap uh, our, our timeline gap
1: yeah, well, you have a base. You have a you have a baseline, and once you establish, it's um, it's kind of like teaching. It, a lot of it's like teaching, right? So, how many instructors do you know out there that just kind of wing it, right? They're off. They're just like, ah, I just know this stuff. And then, how many of them that you know actually teach from a lesson plan or from an outline? And I'm I'm telling you from experience that if you don't have an outline, you have nothing to deviate from at that point. Yeah. You need to have an outline. If you're going to deviate from it, that's fine based upon, you know, whether or not the students are are on par with with the with the speed of the curriculum. Or you're just like, yeah, they got this drill, let's move on. You need to have something to deviate from. And so having these basic checklists, and and you guys might decide that, you know, I, I want to add this in or that in or take this out, whatever. Um that's fine, but this you have to gotta you gotta have a baseline first to start yeah.
0: from, and you gotta have to you have to know your why too, right? You gotta have to know your why, especially if you want to start teaching to someone else, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, okay, so that's the shooter's body prep checklist. Um, hopefully, you guys, um, you know, you got that again. I'll probably post a video about this for you, the visual learners. Um, but once the body's prepped, that rolls immediately into what uh, Kaylin and I. Call or or can calls it the pre-fire checklist Mm -hmm. uh, pre-fire rifle checklist. So now once I've got my body position set up, now I'm focusing on the rifle. Very first thing that I need to focus on is my um, elevation or my dope dopes. Mm -hmm. For those that don't understand what dope is dope stands for down previous engagement. Okay. That's just essentially your rifle elevation come up. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, So I check my uh, elevation and then, I rolled on my parallax to make sure that I'm parallax free. Um, So I think uh, I'll dive into parallax a little bit. um, But, uh, you know, parallax is defined as the apparent movement of the reticle across the target when the position of this head is slightly moved. So everyone's like, what the hell does that mean? Uh, The best way I show this in my class is um, I have, I stand in the center of um, what I do is I, I stand in the center of the classroom. Right. And I have everyone put their fingers up. And like, okay, your finger right now is your crosshair. Mm-hmm. And what I want you to do is I want you to move your head to the left and to the right while keeping your finger steady. What does that do? It changes their point of aim of where that reticle is or where their finger is at on, on my body position, right? Um, and their head moving around is essentially them. Because the hardest thing I would say when you're getting behind a rifle is to put your head in the same exact spot. As, because remember that the eye box is a, a three-dimensional box. Yeah. So,
1: and so what Phil means by the eye box, guys, is that's, um, that is where your pupil needs to remain inside in order for you to see a full field of view through your scope, free of shadow. Yep. Right. And that's part of the aiming process.
0: Yep. Um, so you could be, if your parallax is not set, you can still be within that eye box, meaning you have a good sight picture. But what, what's happening is you have a, uh, you know, what's, what's truly happening is that your, your, uh, your sights aren't correctly lined up on target because you have parallax. Okay. So when you adjust parallax, what you're doing is you're putting that reticle in the same plane as the target. So after I have my students move their head around, I then put their fingers down and I say, okay, when you adjust parallax and then I put my finger in front of my chest and I say, okay, and I move your head left and right. Left and right.
1: Yeah. And yeah. It, parallax is tough, man. It's, it's one of those things that, um, that I've found the best way to explain it or show it, um, is to set a spotting scope up with parallax induced into it. And so that way, like students can just kind of walk up to it and they look through it and I tell them, okay, move your head back and forth. What's crosshairs doing? And they're like, Oh, they move. Okay. Now dial the focus knob until you moving your head and they don't move. Okay. Now what you've done is you've dialed the parallax out of the system and the crosshairs are now, focused on the same plane as the reticle and the reason that that's occurring guys is is your eyeball can only focus on one thing at one time and if the focal plane of the optic whatever that is whether it's um you know a spotting scope of the reticle or a rifle scope you have to what you're doing is you're dialing the the parallax knob you you, there's a there's a pack of lenses in the uh the erector system of the scope that is on sliders right so you dial that parallax knob and those lenses are moving back and forth and they're adjusting the image of that target to fall hopefully on the same exact plane as the crosshairs so i don't know if you guys have ever experienced it in the past before but um like It'll even affect your groups at hundred yards. So you can be out and and you can have a rifle, you, you know, your rifle shooting super tight, like easy one hole groups, no problem. You go, you shoot at distance for, you know, all day, you come back to the range and you neglect to dial your parallax. And then all of a sudden your rifle turns into a three quarter minute gun yeah. and you're like, Whoa, what's going on? This is crazy. Like, ah, oh, it's my, it's not your hand loads that have an SD of freaking eight. It's not, anything. It's not your rifle. It's not your barrel. Your barrel didn't speed up. I heard that this weekend too. Um, it's not any of that. It's your, it's your parallax. And so, because what's happening is, is every time you fire the rifle, the reticle is in a different spot on the target and it's imperceptible. it, it It's, it's imperceptible. So, um, having parallax dialed out is important and it's not just as easy as making sure the target's in focus just because the target's in focus does not mean that the parallax is dialed out of the system so like some of these red some of these scopes man like literally a fraction of a turn is going to make or break whether you got parallax
0: yeah so you guys have to do the due diligence I, i i try to do it every time um is the the very first thing that you usually should notice especially if you're going from like parallax 100 to let's say five six hundred uh if you if you transition from 100 yard target to 600 with 100 yard parallax hopefully your eye catches the very first thing that that target is blurry right not your not your crosshairs right if your crosshairs are blurry that means your your diopter focus isn't set correctly we talked about this in episode um three or four when we talked about rifle setup um but um you know so adjust your parallax when you you get that that target nice and clear what you're going to do is while maintaining um your pressure of your shoulder and as keeping that rifle as steady as possible you're just going to move your exit pupil inside of that eye box so while maintaining good side alignment move your head back and forth up and down left and right Um, not back, I shouldn't say back and forth, left, right, up and down um, to make sure that uh, the reticle's not going anywhere, right? Mm -hmm. So that's how you're you're parallax-free, right? So again, going back to this checklist, number one is your dope or your elevation firing solution. Two is parallax. This is uh, a shameless plug for my coloscope, but that's why I like where the the parallax knob is located underneath the elevation ring. So I can just go straight to that rather than have to reach over over my scope uh, for some other parallaxes that are on the left side of the optic. I would say uh, the other 99% of the optics. Um, And then once I do that, then I go back to my magnification and I zoom in if I have to, to get a better, better, um, uh, just a a better sight picture of the reticle, just blow my reticle up if I need to, you know, see the target a little bit better. And then uh, once I establish, you know, my magnification, my hand goes back to the firing control I reestablish my side pick, my side alignment, my sight picture, give myself a wind call, whether I'm holding or dialing. Right. And in this case, I I, I would say I, I uh, hold nowadays 90% of the time. I'll, I'll I'll talk about when I go into dialing and then I check for can't apply my breathing process and then apply my 90 degrees of trigger control uh, until the rifle breaks. Uh, so that's kind of my pre uh pre fire pre fire rifle checklist.
1: Yep. That's it's it's exactly the same thing, man. Um the only thing that I'll add is checking cant.
0: So Oh yeah, I didn't I didn't talk about that. No, no,
1: it's cool. It's yeah. good. I mean, you did. You said, "Hey, I'm going to check cant." Um yep. I just want to I want to I want to break it down a little farther because I think yep. a lot of guys get super wrapped up into looking at their level And so like, especially new, new shooters that have never shot with a level before you put it on the gun and then that just totally becomes their sole focus. And they're like, ah, they're constantly checking that level. Something that you can do to kind of break you from that, that that you're not constantly checking the level is once you get that first sight picture, look at your level. And then once you see what, what looks level, look back at your reticle and now you have a visual representation of the, of the orientation of the reticle on the target. And just make, a, just make a mental note of that. Just make a mental note of that. Hey, the left side of the crosshair covers this piece of this object. The right side of the reticle covers this piece of the object or whatever it is. And now you have a, a pretty rough idea of what a, a level reticle looks like in your field of view. Um, it's important to to do that. I mean, we talked about rifle can't, the effects of rifle can't the last time we discussed wind and that is a big deal. Okay. So rifle can't is a big deal uh, and incorporating checking your level into your checklist is can make or break your ability to make
0: accurate wind calls. Um, yeah. Kalen goes over can't in episode three as well or four. <laughs>
1: Mm-hmm.
0: um he talks about the effect of um you know when when the rifle is canted to one degree especially with 308 i think it's like over a little over nine inches it's so in close to a minute of angle right nine inches, yep. uh, which is also equivalent to a one mile per hour at a thousand yards right so you know with one degree it can't which is barely even detectable by the human eye yep. right <clears throat> um on top of speed you know, uh, a one mile per hour change, like, you, you know, now you're moving, uh, laterally across your target over two minutes, 20, 20 inches. Right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, can't is huge. Right. And, um, that should definitely, that it's definitely something that should be built into the checklist if it is not done so already. And I, and I even said it in a podcast before is, um, uh, you know, if, if you guys, you know, I know there's a lot of audience that are, you know, budget level guys, right. You know, and definitely, you know, don't go out there and break the bank just to get into the sport, you know, especially if you're slowly, you know, acquiring things and stuff like that. Um, but if, if there's any thing that I would get, you know, on top of your um, rifle scope that, you know, you're looking to upgrade before I would get a, you know, a, um, a cat tail or a switch view lever scope caps, or whatever kind of crazy other shits out there. The very first thing other than scope rings that i get with my scope is an anti-cant device. Mm-hmm. Right. <clears throat> um, I mean, nowadays when I buy an optic, if I'm buying a, if I'm buying a new call or whatever, um, I know already rings is coming off on or getting thrown on top of the budget and an anti-cant device, those two things uh, uh, automatic. So um, I'm going to
1: throw a little plug out there. Um, something like if you guys have multiple guns, and you don't want to swap cant devices over and over and over again, or rather if you don't want to buy multiple can't devices, man, that, that send it level from, um, uh, from long range arms, the little electronic one, that thing is yeah. awesome. That thing is so rad because you can, yeah, it's $200 purchase, yeah. but, but that thing will, you can just take it off one gun and put it on another one.
0: Yeah. You know I need, I haven't even messed with it yet. It's really,
1: it's slick, man. It's really slick because you can also adjust the sensitivity of it. Okay. So you can adjust the sensitivity from, um, two degrees to, uh, a half a degree. Wow. So like, I like it, like as an example, if I want to validate a trajectory at distance and I really want to make sure that everything is, I want to eliminate as many variables as possible. I can take that send it level and I can turn the sensitivity way up to that half a degree. Yep. So I freaking know that I've eliminated every variable that I can possibly eliminate. And then I can back that sensitivity off to more like a practical setting, which would be that, you know, plus or minus one degree of error. Yep. So it's, it, it's, it's actually a really good piece of gear and you can orient okay. it to the side or vertical or whatever.
0: Nice. I got to check it out. Um, um,
1: so, so I, I want to jump real quick back into the, the rifle checklist. Like, yep physical rifle checklist itself. Okay. Um and this kind of jumps into um like going backwards just a little bit from one of the things that I harp on my guys about is a post fire checklist. Yep. And then a pre fire checklist. Okay. And the post fire checklist is simply there to make sure that you know, hey, I just finished this I just finished something um a shooting stage or I just finished a training evolution where I was gathering data at distance. And my scope is, you know, set at you know whatever elevation, depending on your cartridge. Return the scope to zero, step number one. Step number two, return your magnification to the minimum power. Step number three, set your parallax to a mid-range adjustment. So that way, if you forget, especially on the parallax side of the house, because usually that's the first thing that people forget. Like you'll see them do stuff and they won't touch the parallax knob all freaking day. They're, that's usually the one thing that's they're going to brain dump out of that, and just set the parallax knob at a mid range setting and it'll be better than nothing um, and then the other thing that I do that I'll take it a step further is when the rifle is in transportation, whether it's in my pickup truck or whether it's on the side of my rucksack while I'm you know hunting, I'll dial the elevation to max point blank range or the optimum point blank zero. And that way I know, you know, hey, it doesn't really matter. I, the rifle's in a configuration. that I can pull it off the pack or pull it out of the box, and I can take a shot, a critical shot out to a, a fairly great distance without even thinking about it. And the rifle's already in the condition. Like I know when I pull the rifle out of the pickup truck or out of the case, I know what condition it's going to be in. It's not going to surprise me.
0: Yeah, this goes back to being the uh, the modern-day rifleman, right? <clears throat> understanding always knowing what the condition of your rifle is in at all times. Right. Um, it, it's not just like, Hey, I'm going to throw it back in my case and, you know, transporting, right. Cause it's a safe queen and I get it. There's guys out there like that. But, um, you know, one thing that I really, uh, idolize about my best friend, Ben, is, I mean, he's always packing a gun in his, in, uh, in his passenger seat. Right. Um, ready for coyotes or ready for whatever, you know what I mean? A, a long gun, and uh, you know he always knows w- what condition that rifle's in, right? And and that's important, um, especially you know when we start talking about you know especially for, from a from a sniper's aspect, right? When you're in country and stuff like that, um, every one of on the team should know the condition of that rifle inside and out, right? So in the case that you know you guys are rotating um, on watch or whatever the case might be, that hey you know that ro that's now on the gun you know he's able to shoot whoever the hell he needs to shoot without having to worry about uh what you know what what is this what is this setting at you know what i mean yep um so um indeed so post pre and post fire checklist i do the same thing as soon as i get off the gun you know dope dope gets set to zero parallax um Um, actually what I do is I I set my parallax at a hundred because what that does, is forces me to adjust parallax. Mm, Good. Yeah. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, I, but I've also, I've been into instances where I haven't adjusted parallax and, you know, I've been okay on a, a, a decent sized target. Mm-hmm. right uh because one thing I, I make sure is i keep my fucking face on the gun <laughs> right <laughs> um you know so yeah. that's another reason
1: you keep your fucking face <laughs> in the gun Parallax. Yeah. relax
0: um so talking into i kind of want to go back to the pre-fire rifle checklist here one thing i forgot to talk about is is natural point of aim and you know how that fits into um, you know, where, where kind of, where do you check that? Where does it, does, do you check it in between the shooter bodies prep checklist or, you know, during your pre-fire, pre-fire rifle checklist and how should a, a shooter check it during his, um, essentially, uh, I mean, pretty much during his operation, right?
1: Yeah, this is a big, like pre- how, how does it, how does
0: it fit in? So how does it fit in, in training and how does it fit in, in a practical scenario?
1: So my, my point of view on this is that, um, natural point of aim is probably the single most overlooked fundamental of marksmanship in the world of precision shooting. Um, and I think people take it for granted because of the fact that they've, you know, they've spent so much money on their rifle. They spend so much money on their scope. They have ammunition that is, um, you know, extraordinarily precise and accurate with low standard deviations and all this stuff. But if you cannot find that position of neutrality and stillness behind your rifle, then that's, you know, that's, that's the mark of a rifleman that the mark of the rifleman is to be able to find that moment of stillness and press the trigger when the time is right. And so the natural point of aim thing is, that's another one of those things we talked about last podcast, unconscious competence. I, I know when I don't have a natural point of aim, like I, I know that I know my body feels out of whack. It doesn't feel neutral and, and I'm base I'm just really in tune with what my body's doing. I know that it's not right. Now the discipline comes in where the discipline comes in is, is taking the time to stop what you're doing and adjust. And that's all going to be based upon what you can get away with. like it. And that kind of stems back to the acceptable sight picture topic that we discussed a couple podcasts back. But guys, a natural point of aim, the definition of it, is where the rifle naturally wants to go in a given shooting position while your body is relaxed. That's it. It doesn't have to be any more complex than that. The rifle is going to want to point, in a certain direction when it's connected to you after you've addressed the rifle and, and you've gone through that body position checklist that we just talked about now the rifle's connected to you it's going to point in a certain direction it's your job now to manipulate your body to get the gun pointed where you want it to point without any effort you're letting your body do the work for you so where so does me, this come place where does it come me, into play
0: let me uh let me be that that uh that student that is still is is grasping the concept, but now how close is acceptable, right? And now, for me, I know what's acceptable, but what is acceptable for a, a shooter, right? That is trying to check his natural point of aim uh, on target, and I and I would say it, it would be different based off of um time and opportunity and mm-hmm. size of target
1: so yeah acceptable side picture right so yep. um i would have to say that um if your wobble zone is outside the constraints of the target that is an yep. unacceptable side picture and you and yeah. you you need, you need to, to adjust, you need to adjust, to adjust your natural, your natural point, point, of point of aim first aim. Yes. yes okay
0: okay mm-hmm. so uh again um i think guys you know, uh, if you, especially if you're just, if you're used to shooting prone and then used to shooting bench and, you, you know, um, I think what a lot of, what intimidates a lot of shooters is getting off their belly, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because one thing they can't control is their wobble zone. And that's that inherent movement of that reticle dancing around the target. Guess what? I have it too, guys. Kalen has it, right? It's understanding how to control that wobble zone. And again, going back to your shooter body checklist, not only is it a checklist, but now... Um, you know how like, um, in, in like, uh, uh user manuals, you have a, uh, a troubleshoot guide. Mm-hmm. This is now your troubleshoot checklist. Mm-hmm. Hey, maybe if I've got wobble zone, maybe my hips aren't really truly square to the target. Let me try to fix my hips or let me adjust the grip of my shooting hand. Let me adjust one of these eight things that it, it, my body part is influencing to the rifle that could be throwing my natural point of aim off mm-hmm. or increasing the instability of this rifle yeah you know so committing those things to memory right goes back into okay how do I go from a phase three shooter someone that's consciously competent to unconsciously competent right it is following that checklist it's committing these things to memory as fastly as fast and quickly as possible so that now when I put you in and when I challenge your brain by putting you into a condition, that you're uncomfortable in such as a competition or in a uh, you know in, in a hunt because again when you know frank galley talks about this all the time in his podcast you know when you're at your home range you set the conditions for everything you set the conditions and when you go to the range on where the targets you are shooting you know blah 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 but you go to a match or whatever it's like now you're on mother nature's uh condition and you're mm-hmm. on the match director's conditions that's right and, and that you know that's why i love competition because it bridges that gap between your training and the the realness of what you'll find in a practical environment, whether you're a hunter or um, a sniper.
1: That's right. Um, yeah. The so. natural point of aim thing, man, I can't tell you how many times people have said, well, it takes too long. Okay. Well, it, it takes too long, but that's why you're missing the target, man. I mean, like yeah. you have to, you have to identify. And I, the other thing I tell students that, that say that is, you're just you haven't done it you haven't committed yourself to making that a part of your process yes and when you commit to making that a part of your process then your 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 hit percentage is going to dramatically increase like you're like so one of the things that i tell students that come to, to come to my training classes is that if there's only one thing you take away from these four days if there's only one thing it's understanding the power of a natural point of aim. So like we'll get we'll get guys dialed in on on man-sized targets at beyond a grand, right? And beyond a grand, they're hitting man-sized targets from the standing position behind a barricade. And they're just incredulous. They're just blown away at that. And it's it's like what's allowing them to do that outside of course of a wind call and and a good solid trigger press what's allowing them to maintain a relative settled sight picture is a natural point of aim
0: it's funny that you just said that like oh it takes too long (laughs) (laughs) during my demonstration right um i I get my hunters all the time you know when i'm like going through a demonstration and having to shoot a target or whatever and they're like or no, no it's it's not during a demonstration it's in class when we're talking about the uh, academics of making a wind call, mm-hmm. um, getting your dope, and all that stuff, right? I mean, it's it's all thrown on the whiteboard. Obviously, it takes a while to explain because, you know, I'm talking about it. Yeah. Um, and they look at me and they're like, "There's no way you can do all that in in um in, you know, in like in, 15 in, seconds, yeah, right?" It's like <laughs> yeah. I was like, "No, you can, right? If you train yourself to it, right? Yeah. You're not going to get that way if you shoot 20 rounds a year, right?" um 15 of which you spent just studying zero and your, a gun yeah zero and a gun and five which you spent on the another you know, five games that you could afford for that year so uh it's funny. and Nicole said the same thing today when we were at the range when uh when I was having her input everything into the ballistic calculator she's like you have to do this every single time you go out to the- <laughs> <laughs> right cuz it took it took a while she wanted to shoot and yeah. she's like where do you get all this information from and i um I actually showed her because, again, I realized a lot of people can't afford um, Kestrels or anything like that. So guess what I had her uh, search the information for atmosphere from? Motherfucking Google. <laughs> <laughs> Google the elevation of Burlington yeah. and use the weather app. Right, altitude station pressure automatically corrects right yeah. now. Temperature and humanity, boom. Yep. Guess what? You don't need a freaking Kestrel device. I'm sorry, Kessel, I have four-year devices, but you know, for the budget-friendly shooter out there that's trying to figure out where, yeah. where to find his uh, atmospherics, Google yep. it'll help, right? Indeed. Um, and that's how I really make that's how that's even how I make my dope charts. Um, is hey, this is the shooting area that we're going to be going to if I don't have the ability to uh, uh sight in on Friday. Guess what? I'm googling the the area which we're shooting at or the uh, elevation. I'm running a, a just like an average temperature uh, from Wonderground and that's it. You know, I'm rolling with it. Yep, um, and it
1: works, guys.
0: it, yeah, works. it works, right? Um, regardless of my freaking 15 degree temperature change. I know. Um,
1: hey, the DA went up 250 <laughs> feet, bro.
0: Better make uh, a dude, dope change. I don't think I don't think those will ever get old. No, ever. I don't ever get old. Um, no. So, hey, so uh, before before we we dive into I think, uh, our cycle of operations, you know, we talked about this before the podcast. I think it's a, it's a really great, uh, subject to talk about, um, during the body checklist and now pre-fire checklist, we never talked really about when the rifle goes into condition one mm, Yeah. and condition one guys is, it's a, it's a, it's a Marine Corps thing. I think it's just a, uh, it's a military thing in general, right? Mission mm-hmm. one is essentially when you chamber a rifle, chamber around, one goes inside the pipe and the rifle is essentially now uh, a condition to where you can send bullets downrange, right? Yep. Um so you know the the verbatim condition one is magazine inserted um rifle on safe bolt closed um, uh was it uh, uh cartridge inside chamber. Uh what's it? Yeah, round uh, and chamber. Round and chamber. There you go. Jesus. Uh, Magazine sort round in chamber uh, bolt clothes uh, uh, weapon on safe. Yep. i'm gonna get i'm gonna get wow. i 'm get <laughs> <laughs> getting roasted i already know it yeah Still forgot his four weapon safeties <laughs> yeah man um it's
1: so there's a there's a lot of uh there's a lot of contentiousness surrounding this in our community um and I think that it's that it that it stems from different shooting environments uh because Some ranges people due to safety constraints, meaning I need to keep this bullet inside this berm. And if the bullet leaves the berm, bad things are going to happen. Meaning, you know, I obviously I can't, there could be a built up area behind that berm um, in the surface danger zone of that particular bullets trajectory path. So I can understand it from that point, but it poses a great question. Hey, when does the bolt go down? right? When does the bolt go home and the weapon come off safe? And this is another thing that I see a lot of in the shooting community is that, that bolt gun shooters don't use their mechanical safeties. And I don't understand why it's only going to enable you to be more safe if you use it and it will never disable you if you train for it. And so I will bring it back to the same thing with a carbine and uh, you know, being a carbine shooter, uh, doing CQB stuff that I was always, it was always drilled into my head that when the rifle is presented and you cheek the gun, meaning you cheat the rifle. Now I can disengage that mechanical safety and I can place my finger on the trigger. Now, if I'm searching and assessing and I'm moving, I can maintain the weapon on fire, but my finger straighten off the trigger. But as soon as my face gets disconnected from that gun, as soon as the face gets disconnected from that gun, finger straighten off the trigger weapon on safe, then it's, that's the cycle. And the way that I see that with a bolt gun is after we, after we do this pre-shot checklist, I get into my position. I'm, as soon as I get into my position and I'm, And I know that I'm getting ready to press the trigger and do that final sight picture check bolts going down and my, and believe it, my weapon is on safe. Like I actually physically use my mechanical safety and the safety comes off and it's difficult for me because you do go to some venues where, you know, the, the safety constraints kind of mess up my mojo when it comes to that. We talked about it in the last podcast, like if you try to tell me now I have to do a different method of reloading a, a pistol, man, like that's going to be a really, really tough thing for me to break. And so that's where having that that conscious awareness of what's going on comes into place. So that way you can say, oh, okay, well, I need to adjust my checklist to meet the requirements of this range. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, so where does where do you where do you do where do you lock your bolt down?
0: All right, so for me as a competitor as soon as I my 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 target is so I've already connected to the rifle obviously and my sight picture is generally in the area of the target that is when the bolt is getting closed at home, right? And typically, right? Uh, if it's the very first shot on target um my finger stays straight off the trigger until my reticle is in vicinity or on the target correct does that make sense and yep. then as soon as it's on target my fingers so like if you kind of watch my videos when i close the bolt on on in this first the very first round that i'm i'm shooting on target as a competitor right i'll close the bolt my finger kind of stays off the trigger unless i'm already on target like unless i'm really um now my reticle is already floating on the target but if it's not then i'll wait until the reticle is on target i'll put my i'll touch my finger on the pad of the trigger mm-hmm. right even with a 10 ounce trigger i'm comfortable with putting my finger on the trigger and this you know i, I could go on days with trigger control i think that should be another podcast in itself Indeed. but um um you know when i'm ready i go through my breathing process i you know side picture check my cant, and then i i i uh uh press my 90 degrees of trigger control, consistent straight to the rear, rifle goes off, I run the bolt. You know, this goes kind of into that recovery stock of operations process that we haven't touched yet. Um, but then when I run the bolt, my goal when I'm running the bolt is to keep that reticle on the target the whole freaking time, mm-hmm. right? So that when I close my bolt, guess where my is going right back to? The trigger, right? Mm-hmm. Unless I've I completely like jerked off the whole bolt pressure, I lost control of the rifle. When I come back down, then I'll put my finger back off the trigger or straighten, straighten off. Does that make sense? Now um, when I've in some of the videos that I've, I've uh, demonstrated for hunting um, same thing is, you know, I'll dial all my elevation and stuff like that. And usually what happens, you know, when I'm, when I'm demonstrating a hunting scenario, the magazines inserted, I have a bolt riding on top of that first round Right, and then when I'm ready, essentially, um, after I've established my pre-fire checklist, what I do is I run the bolt, right, rifle on fire, check my uh, sight alignment again, check my sight picture, check my cant, my natural point of aim, and then uh, my breathing, slow steady trigger press, consistent straight to the rear, and then torch one off. Mm-hmm. That's that's how I do it in a in a high. Yeah, that's exactly
1: the way. That's
0: exactly the way I do it as well.
1: Yeah, it's it's very similar and again like the whole the, like the like the skyloading stuff like if i have to modify the process to fit a specific you know range requirement then i'll do that yeah um but man i think guys can get i think guys get way deep in the weeds and i just want to throw it out there that just because just because you do it one way at your range in terms of the whole skyloading thing does not mean that other people are unsafe yeah. So just get that out of the, just get that out of your head right now, because that's not the case. That is why we have mechanical safeties, guys. They are there for a reason. And so if you think about it, you know, when you load an M4 carbine, or if you load a pistol in your workspace, right, that the muzzle is elevated. I'm inserting a magazine. I'm setting the bolt home, chambering a live round, and then the rifle is in now condition one or the pistol is in condition one at no point in time. Is that unsafe? Yep. No point in time whatsoever. Is that unsafe? So I just encourage you to think about that and look at that. And so the other part of it, like Phil was talking about with a 10 ounce trigger, he's comfortable putting his finger, marrying his finger to the trigger, even with a 10 ounce trigger that's like, man, for me, that's like, I I don't, I don't roll that. Like my, even my competition guns are at at, at a pound. And even then it's like, man, I don't know about that. Like, that's just because it's the way, that's just the way that I've been trained over the years and I don't have a problem with it. Like it's, 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 I don't think that it's inhibiting me in any way, shape or form. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, (laughs) I think, uh, a lot of guys get, a, you know, I don't know. Did we talk about this in a podcast? If if you're if you're brand new to shooting, the last thing that you should be worrying about is the trigger weight of your rifle. Yeah, um, you I know, don't know
1: if we covered that, but I know you and I have talked about it individually.
0: Yeah, we I, we did talk about that, right? It's like, um, or maybe it could have been a Facebook post. It's like, dude, if you're like worried, like if you're, I've seen a, like, hey guys, I'm new, to like precision rifle shooting. I'm looking to upgrade my trigger. Um, you know. What's your guys' recommendation? Should I get a diamond or a special? It's like, wait, how long have you been shooting again? You know, yeah, it's like, yeah,
1: not a good idea.
0: Yeah, um, you know, and again, um, I think trigger control for sure should would be in a its podcast itself. I yeah, mean, we could uh, go on
1: for freaking hours about that.
0: Yep, um, but you know, I, I touched based on it um, on just what I just talked about here. Where and I establish the rifle going into condition one, and you know, I talk about the third part of this shooter's checklist is the recovery process and the cycle of operations of the shooter, right? So essentially what what's happened is I've established my, uh, shooter body prep, uh, shooters, my body prep checklist. I rolled into my pre fire rifle checklist, right? Now I touched that round, that round just went down range. What happens next? Okay. Mm -hmm. Now this is another kind of cycle of operations or a checklist in its own. Right? So one of the most overlooked other than natural point of aim, the second most overlooked fundamental is follow through and recovery. Okay. Mm-hmm. Follow through is defined. There's a lot of, there's multiple definitions of it. I've redefined it as for my definition is um, fall through is the continued application of the fundamentals of marksmanship until the rifle and shooter have recovered from the process of recoil. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I think I've talked about this dwell time is depending on the caliber, depending on the size of the rifle, depending on how much recoil your rifle has, everyone's body accepts rifle, recoil differently and everyone has a dwell time. Mm-hmm. Usually the heavier and the lighter rifle that is, the less of a dwell time you have, the bigger the recoil, the bigger the uh, caliber, the lighter frame or whatever, is, the bigger mm-hmm. the recoil, the, the more dwell time you have. So what is dwell time? Well, dwell time is that that kind of mental pause or disconnect that you have as your body is cycling through recoil, mm-hmm. right? So essentially your, your, your body gets hit, your, your natural reaction for your body to protect itself usually is to do what? Relax blink, and right? blink. Yep. And, and blink. Okay. And then, and it's usually for lighter caliber. Sometimes, you know, I don't blink. Okay. Um, especially if I'm shooting suppress or whatever, but still I can, I, I still know that my brain is taking a pause, right? Because during recoil, right? The next thing that comes into my brain is what looking for my trace or looking for what impact looking for that impact downrange, And that is the only thing that I want in my brain to calculate at that moment in time, because that is the next most important information that I have, mm-hmm. right? Because now that bullet is telling me a story. It's telling me a story of how well my position was built how good my, my, if my dope is tracking correctly, right. Mm-hmm. And if my wind call was correct, right. Mm-hmm. Those, those three things, my position, if my dope's good and how how well my wind calls. Those are the three pieces of information that it's, that bullet is telling me, mm-hmm. right. And that's the only thing that I want to process in my way, because if I miss the next piece of information that's important is, okay, well, what's my correction need to be mm-hmm. right. And right. I can't focus on that. I start like running the bolt or doing all sorts of crazy shit, you know, taking my face off the gun, mm-hmm. you know, whatever you see all these other shooters doing in yep. between that, their, their shot and that bullet going down range. Does, does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. I mean, that's,
1: that's something that, that we have all been preaching for years and years and years. And, you know, from the, even in the tactical community, sometimes, you know, guys are not, they're not seasoned enough and they haven't been, you know, trained enough. And you even everyone everyone
0: wants to everyone wants to work that bolt as soon as they shoot it. They just want to run the bolt. Run a
1: bolt. And so even like this this last class of Marines, you know, we're talking about, okay, so this is a long range interdiction rifle. You know, your Mark 13 is a long range interdiction rifle. You don't need to be running that bolt like a madman. Let you have to you have to see what the bullet's doing on the target so that way you can make an accurate adjustment. Now, I caveated that by saying there could be an instance where you're shooting at a distance great enough that it will save you time to work the bolt while the bullet's in flight. And, you know, we're talking about time of flights, you know, over to you know, two seconds, beyond yeah, two yeah. seconds, where you can, like, if you have good fundamentals and you have good re- weapons handling mechanics, I can press the trigger, recover from recoil, work the bolt come back onto the gun and watch the bullet splash. And the reason that we would do that is to make sure that, you know, for wind call purposes, especially shooting at those extreme distances, that wind call is extraordinarily important to get the second bullet into the air in the same conditions that the first one went down. Yes. yep. But that takes intuition that takes knowledge and experience. Yep. You have to let the bullet tell you the story. That the bullet is the way, the truth, and the life, man. That's that's it's telling you everything that you need to know. Yep. So, and if you're freaking dicking around with your shooting position while that's occurring, you might as well just send another round.
0: Yeah. I mean, you just waste. I mean, now that that round just, essentially just splashed into the earth in vain.
1: You fed <laughs> you fed the earth with a dollar fifty.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> all right, guys. Um, so again, uh, recovery or follow through recovery process. So once that round goes off the, the shooter, one follow throughs and recovers right from recoil. Um, now two uh, essentially is, is um, your adjustment, right. Uh, or what I call measure. So if, if, um, if you're not on target, right. Let's assume that you're off target. Okay. At that moment in time, what I, what I do after I recover from recoil is I, I, observe or measure what my correction needs to be um back on target does that make sense
1: yeah well yeah so basically the if i'm if i'm understanding this correctly we follow through yep and then so what i tell what i tell my students is after you follow through you need to acquire the second side
0: picture acquire the second side picture that's right
1: that's like First and foremost, because if you acquire the second sight picture, chances are you're going to see the splash.
0: Okay, right? so, okay, so sorry. So that's, uh, i uh, going back to implied task here for me, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, always coming yeah. back on target. Okay, so mm-hmm. for other shooters, I'm glad you brought that up. So now, once you follow through recover, your goal is to drive the rifle, if you can, back to, back to target, if you've mm-hmm. come off target assuming that you came off target. Okay. So we require the second side picture. Okay.
1: Yep. And don't be, and guys, if like, if you're like, yo, that's really, really hard to do. It doesn't matter if you get it exact, what you just need to see is the target in the field of view. Yes. And so like, sometimes if I'm shooting a pretty complex reticle, um, you know, like a Christmas tree reticle, I'll actually drive, (laughs) I'll drive the reticle below the target. So that way I've got a clear field of view to see the splash. You know, it's just totally situational dependent. Um, and then I'll just really quickly move the reticle to where the the bullet splashed. We'll we'll get there. But but don't be a f- don't feel like you're screwing up in life if if you can't get that done. Just know that that second sight picture, as long as the target's in the field of view for a beginning shooter, that's all we're concerned about.
0: So establish your second side picture. Once you establish your second, second side picture, um, measure your correction. I just, yeah, process the adjustment. Yeah, process the adjustment. Yep. Okay. Um, once you process the adjustment, that is, for me, that is when I run the bolt, right? Mm, okay. So I go through my, my bolt manipulation cycle, right? And then from there, it stems back to side alignment, breathing. Um, side picture and then instead of the wind that is my adjustment yep yep does that make sense
1: yes it does so basically what what phil's saying guys is that he's once once he processes the adjustment he knows what he needs to do to hold work the bolt and now we're we've already got the initial wind call based and if the wind call is good hey hit the go
0: hit the gas pedal send another one Exactly.
1: It, but if it, but if this first round didn't impact now, we're not going back to the first win call. We're either yeah. adding or subtracting that's right. based upon what happened. Yep. And that is a task all in and of itself. Yeah. And and that is a, that's a difficult thing for a lot of people to process because there is a lot going on in your brain at that moment, visual acuity, uh, your mental uh, sharpness, your ability to kind of put, hit the pause button, and do some little really fast mental math. Exactly. It's not easy to do. And, yep. and that's, again, that's another reason why we teach people how to, to, to call wind in mile per hour Yes. because it's just easier that way. Yep. It's way easier that way to process adjustments because if that miss occurs in the first target in, in an array or targets in depth, now I need to carry that wind call adjustment on to all the rest of those targets, right? Yep. And and we see it all the time, man. Sometimes I do it too. It's like I'll forget about it and I'll go right back and I'll look at my arm board and I'll be like, ah, shit, I need to hold this. And then then I forget to add either the subtraction or the addition um, to the follow-on subsequent win call. And then I'm like, ah, damn it, I forgot. Like, hey, it happens, man. It happens. We make mistakes. We learn every time we go to the range. But again, it goes back to if you have a process to deviate from it's way easier to do that than to have no process and have no idea what's going
0: on. If you're a sniper listening to this, you know, one piece of information that you have already when you're doing unknown distance, right? Your unknown distance qualifications or whatever the case is, you know, uh, for whatever course you're going through, whether it be urban, um, or if you're, if you're a pig listening to this, going through the basic course, I'm <clears throat> giving you answers to the test right here. Make sure you keep your mill uh, measurements of the targets from one through 10. And that's giving you half the answer right there, right? That's true. So, you know, target three is a mill wide and your partner misses just off the right edge. Your minimum correction needs to be at least a 0.5 mil correction now At i get least. it you know as, as, as you know as when you know in, in the in the sniper shooter scenario it's a little different right because we're not giving him holdovers you know we're, they're taught to give um um they're taught to give a holdover based off of the reticle right so like hey if they missed off the right edge hey hold left edge Or just off left edge right rather Mm -hmm. than the correction actual mills
1: or like anatomical Um, parts
0: yeah exactly um so you know that's something to keep in mind because not only because it is an unknown distance one thing that they're also playing with right is not only windage right but elevation as well Mm -hmm. Um, and
1: there and, and believe and i'm telling you man there's an argument there is an argument right there um to try to drive people to get away from that because yep. we saw it a lot of times, even in this last class with the Marines, like they would give an adjustment. It's like, they're so, they're afraid to come off the plate. Yep. They were like, Oh, we're one mil from left edge. And I'm like, yo, time out. Like what the fuck dude? No, 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 no. Not one mil from left, one mil. What is from the center of the target? Yeah. You're like, yo, that's, I don't understand what that means. And I'm like, you're doing the same thing. Just but think about it from the center of the target. Yeah. And then what that'll eventually lead into is understanding how to stack those adjustments or stack those additions or subtractions as you go yep. farther in depth in targets. Yep.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Also if you're now now if you're a competitor listening to this, measure the width of the target, right? You know, so that you know and write it down in your onboard, hey, this target number one or target two is five tenths wide. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you miss just off the right edge and you see it, it's like your minimum correction needs to be at least three tenths, mm-hmm. right? So if you're, if you're your opening wind calls, 1.0, you miss off the right or left, you know, depending on the – guess what your second wind call should be? 1.3, mm-hmm. yep. you know? Um, and, and that's, you know, that's that's prior, you know, the seven Ps, prior proper planning present prevents performance. In, and I see it all the time. I think I, we, we actually talked about it in a podcast we did before SHOT Show. Um That didn't get released yet. But uh, (laughs) I talked about it, how, you know, when I was in the A squad uh, at the National Rifle League Championship, you know, we were trailing behind a squad that, you know, you could tell was was still kind of, you know, fairly newer shooters, right? We were doing a long-range stage. And, I mean, you know, they'd shoot and they'd miss. And then when they corrected, gets where they they missed off of again, the same same side side they missed on. You know what Not what I mean? like, enough correction. If if, the, if if there's any direction that I want to miss, it's I want to miss on, the, the, other, it's on other the other side. Yeah. Now I got it, man. Yeah. Uh so um hopefully that that makes sense guys. Um hey guys, it's it's been a been been fun. Um I think we're coming, you know, we we talked uh for this podcast, we talked, you know, just to summarize, we talked the shooter bodies checklist, right? We talked uh, pre-fire uh, checklist. Kayla talked about his post-fire checklist. You know, so what you do to the rifle after um, you fire. Um, we kind of went into you know uh, safety and personal accountability there. Um, you know, with that personal accountability, guys, um, yeah, I'm just going to throw this out there. Like in in the 12 years that I've been doing this, throwing a, a um, you know Schmidt and Bender on, on top of my ruck strapping it down in a drag bag, skull dragging across open plains and stuff like that. I have not yet rolled any of my turrets.
1: Never, ever,
0: Uh, you know? And I I mean, I don't know, like, can't really say that I've put it to hard use, I guess, in in terms of other, what other people's definition of hard use is, but, um, you know, and and Kalen is probably the same way. I've seen students drug their shit through fucking hell and back. uh, And, you know, the only thing that I say is always have personal accountability of, again, going back to your checklist. That's one of the very first things that you should always check on your rifle is your dope.
1: Yep, yep. And and it's and it should be that should be constant, right? That's a that's a that's a, a cyclic process, meaning you're, you're, it's a constant thing. And I've never ever rolled a scope turret, and man, I've I've had. I've had rifles strapped to the side of rucksacks for ten days in the mountains. I've I've been an operational sniper and train training environments and combat environments and as a competitor too. Like that's that's you that's your responsibility. Like you are responsible for every round that comes out of that gun, yep. and that's plain and simple. And
0: you know I've I've missed targets because I forgot to dial my dope right, but not because. It yep. slipped off from uh, my original point yep. of of time, so I mean I don't know what I'm doing wrong, but um, but yeah, um, I just had to throw that out there. Personal pal- accountability, guys. Um, and then you know we talked the, when when the rifle goes condition one, essentially when you know when the bolt goes home and you know rounds inside the pipe uh, when you're ready to fire. Okay, so you know uh, for Kayla and I, it's pretty much the same. Then we talked about the recovery process of the shooter. Our checklist from there cycle, of, or I call it the cycle of operations, because essentially after you take your first shot, you know, um, you know, when you send multiple rounds, essentially it's just, you know, at that point your your position is already built, your rifle is uh, essentially already dialed to. Now you're just running the same operations of running the bolt recovery and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if you got to transition from one target to another. Then you go back to your pre-fire checklist, dope parallax magnification. Because at that point in time, what you're doing is you're <clears throat> removing your firing hand from the grip. I think, I don't know if we talked about that yet, but um, I'll throw that out there. For any of my adjustments, guys, I use my firing hand uh, to make all the adjustments yeah. on my on my rifle scope. Uh, mainly, mainly because once I establish the, the position of my non-shooting hand, that is supporting essentially the rifle placement in my in my shoulder
1: right because where do we aim the rifle from guys we aim the rifle from the rear yeah right because we're always going to have it supported on
0: something if i break that right if i break my non-shooting hand to adjust my dials guess what i have to redo i have to rebuild my shooting position essentially Mm -hmm. right that that goes for prone that i that that even goes for um that even goes for uh what's that called uh alternate shooting positions. Mm-hmm. Now, I would say it changes now though, when it when you're um, adju- the, conducting a mag change, i treat it like an AR, right? Um, yeah. Where for an AR, all of my magazines are my support side of my body, my left yeah. side. And I, you know, low beer can grip, roll over, and then insert the magazine as if I were AR controlling the rifle with my shooting hand at that mm-hmm. point.
1: Yeah, the only time the hand should come away from fire control is to manipulate the bolt or manipulate uh, the turrets.
0: The turrets, yep. So, um, Man, this was a good one. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, These guys are probably listening to this uh, in their car and realize that they should have been listening to it at home and (laughs) probably got to re-listen to it again, but it's good stuff. No, Um, man, that's... Yeah, um, you know, a lot of... One thing I've always wanted to say is, hey guys, you know, we appreciate everyone that's listening in um, you know, we hope that for some that's listening in, you know, it's new information and, and hope for other shooters, especially, you know, a lot of experienced shooters or even some of our peers, other snipers that listen to this, um, you know, that 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 is some of the coolest feedback that I get is from uh, fellow snipers. It's like, Hey guys, love the podcast. Love the, love the honesty and the passion behind it. Um, hopefully for you guys, this is a reaffirmation of your guys' truths of what you found from, um, from what you were originally taught at sniper school, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. Uh, a lot of it just being, you know, uh, reaffirmations and stuff like that. Um, and you know, I, I still do want I do want to do a podcast on um, you know what it is to be a student.
1: That's um, a good one because yeah. um, I just had uh, just like you know Cass going to the range too. Like you're saying, Nicole went to the range with you. Yeah, um, she's the epitome of the the most awesome student. Like she, she didn't shoot for a year and I purposefully didn't coach her in any way, shape or form. Yeah. And she immediately went to right back to everything that she was taught a year ago. And she shot, you know, a three quarter minute group with nice. literally no coaching or instruction. That's the kind of student that we want.
0: Yeah, that, I mean, and, and that's why you guys are listening, that's why, you know, you guys are listening to this podcast, hopefully, is you guys are trying to figure out a way to, again, just be that modern day rifleman, and own his ability to connect with that rifle, any kind of rifle that I, that that we give you, and, you know, maximize the use of its capability. Mm-hmm. You know, Um just like any, I mean, just like if you put a sport, a sports car driver or any car, he's going to drive the fuck out of it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you put a Dale Earnhardt Jr. or whatever the freaking, uh, you know, fam- I don't, I don't, I don't follow NASCAR or any you know, famous car drivers, but you know, you put him in the backseat or in the driver's seat of any car nowadays, they're, they're going gonna gonna drive drive to the they, they drive the fuck out of it. Even if it's a Prius, you know yeah. what I mean? So see what um, this
1: motherfucker can do.
0: That's, that's what I, you know, and, uh God but that's one thing I want to talk about. I want to talk about like you know caliber selection right um mm-hmm. you know what when to use what calibers sure hear all the times like you know I got crucified for a little bit when uh when i I threw up a q and I don't know if you were around at that during that time I threw up a q and a it was it was uh and someone was like. Hey, what's your what's the most overrated caliber? <laughs> and I said, I put 300 Win Mag, <laughs> <laughs> you, and people lost their shit, bro. Uh, and, wrong and, answer, and, man. And, and 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 I would say, right, 300 Win Mag for overall like anything long range cartridge, right? Um, I I think it's overrated. You know, I I think you know a lot of times you know people think that they can go out and compete with it which you can but you know you're not going to be as competitive right because that recoil is just going to beat you up compared to other competitors yeah. it's a great hunting cartridge absolutely right it'll go the distance but what will it will not do is you know it will not be of fun to hang with you know other competitors especially again as, as much as you know you want to say that oh i want to go to a competition to learn it's like you know, your, your first bit, a little bit of ego, obviously everyone wants to be competitive. Hopefully if you're listening to this podcast, it's because you, you don't like to be average, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause nothing Kaylin and I do is average. It's one of our freaking slogans. Mm-hmm. And you know, we understand that. We understand that we all have that alpha mindset. So, you know, when you go to a competition, you want to learn a little, of your ego gets bruised when you don't perform the way you want to. Right. And And it,
1: and it takes a lot of time and effort and energy to make sure that it doesn't.
0: Yes. And it takes a lot of mindfulness, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it took a lot of mindfulness for me to break down my ego. Trust me, you know, Mm -hmm. after I, after, you know, it's not one of those things overnight that I'm like, Oh, you know, I got, I mean, there's, there's still some things that, you know, I'm egotistical about that I'm trying to work on as a person. Mm -hmm. Uh, and And that's where, you know, having a good mentor, uh, in this community, uh, helps, you know, that's why I'm really glad no homo to have Kalen, uh, mentor me in this industry. Um, because you know, it's, it's all about checks and balances. You know, there's a lot of coaching that Kalen does with me offline, uh, that, that, uh, you know, obviously we keep, um, I was going to say behind closed doors, but that sounds It was going to sound kind of homo, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I talked about it in my Q and a episode, like, you know, finding yeah. mentors, right. Yeah. Um, it's, So
1: I appreciate that, man. And it's important. Like everybody needs a mentor. Everybody needs a mentor. And and they that's the person that that can tell you the stuff, the hard stuff that you need to hear that is gonna be um only for the purpose of growth. That's it. So yeah, ego's ego's a tough one, man. It's a really tough one because there's just so many layers to it. And again, that's another podcast all in and of itself. I would love to have a podcast, just talk about ego.
0: Ego, yeah. How to face your ego, you know? Yep, just, what
1: happens when you look in the mirror.
0: Yep, so cool. Hey guys, um, a lot of great feedback, especially from that last podcast. Um, a, a lot of you guys messaged me and it was like, hey, again, love you know, love the technical aspect of it and then love that you're bringing, again, the mindfulness part behind it you know, um, where other podcasts are probably talking about, I've, I've uh, tuned into a couple and, you know, they talk about their stage after action debriefs and stuff like that. And, you know, I I think that is good for, um, a certain part of the audience, right. Um, especially if you're a competitive shooter, but one thing that I've realized, especially as I've grown my audience for, um, my Instagram page is understanding that, um, my audience doesn't just consist of competitors, Mm -hmm. Right. You know, and and that's one thing that Kaylin and I do the best we can when we approach these podcasts is that we're reaching the audience of not just long range competitors or snipers, uh, but those hunters out there and even those um, enthusiasts, right? Those yeah. enthusiasts that just love to shoot. Um, and that's okay, right? Um, because at the end of the day, you know, you're, ex- you're exercising your Second Amendment, right? And, um, you know, it's good fucking therapy. Long range shooting is good. It's fucking absolutely great therapy. And that's why I love doing it. Love teaching mm-hmm. it
1: yeah man it's it's uh we want it to be for everybody and it's like in order for it to be everybody or in order for it to be for everybody it's it's got to be balanced and and that's the that's the thing with modern day sniper is that it's not just focused on one thing not just focused on one thing with regard to shooting uh long range shooting anyways it's it's all encompassing because all of those skills matter
0: yep yep so,
1: man, this is a good one. And I am super excited. We got a chance to talk about this because there's so many layers to this stuff, guys, and take notes, listen to the episode a couple of times if you need to and, and do your best to apply this. And and just like we talked about in the beginning of the podcast, you know, see where, see where your checklist lines up with ours and make, make necessary adjustments or don't, you know, if it works for you and you're hitting all the wickets and, and you're applying everything that you need to apply, there's so many ways to skin these cats, man, it's ridiculous. Yeah. So, and and our way is not just the highway. And so again, we so appreciate you guys listening to us. We appreciate the comments. I try to get to the comments as, as often as I can to reply to you on the Podbean app. That's where I get the most of them coming through is the Podbean app. So um, guys, we're about to break 30,000 downloads, man. And this is going to be episode number nine, I think. Yeah, I think it's episode number nine. Yep. It, I, I'm just, I can't thank you guys enough. It's, it's amazing. And um, you guys are doing really good by sending us the stuff that you want to hear. And I think I'm going to jump in and do a little uh, Q&A session myself, kind of like Phil did with you guys while, while I was on vacation um, down in Central America and I'm going to do the same thing so I can address some stuff too. Uh, we are super busy at modern day sniper. We're recording this week for, um, actually we're recording for the next three months for, for our online training program. That's going to be, I'm really excited about that because some of these barriers for entries with regard to training come with the, the time and cost associated with travel. And that's a huge one. So we want to try to fix that for you guys. And, um, you know, you can expect to see a couple of courses trickle out here and there, but my my goal is to have a full suite of online training packages, not just videos that you can subscribe to and and pick from, but lit, like no kidding, hey, I'm going to enroll in a circle of components course. I'm going to enroll in the fundamentals of marksmanship or precision rifle 101 or wind call clinic or whatever. That's how we want to set it up for you guys. So that's coming just really, really busy. We got a full training schedule coming up here. Courses are about to kick off for me, um, here in the next two weeks. And, uh, we have so much rad shit coming this summer and into the fall. It's going to freaking blow you away. Can't wait.
0: Hey guys. Um, so I try to throw it in every podcast. Again, if you like the content, if you like the information, just share it with a friend, you know, um, it doesn't have to be a million doesn't have to be, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be a hundred people, even if it's just one person, you know, that you might think that uh that might find value out of this podcast. Uh please share it because anything, you know, anything helps just to grow that, spread the word. Uh and that's our goal here at Modern Day Cyber, is just to start, you know, um debunking all that that uh that trash that's out there. Um mm-hmm. because again, a hundred miles in the wrong direction is a is a complete waste of your fucking time. Um yep. and speaking of time, I'm just going to throw this one thing out there that I, I thought was pretty funny. Um, you know, a lot of this stuff you guys really, you guys need to realize it's not going to happen overnight. Right. Um, you know, Kaelin and I've been doing this for north of 10 years and you know, all these checklists that we have and stuff like that built over trial and error. And I look back at my videos five years from now, I'm like, damn, I'm, I'm a completely different shooter, uh, but it's because I applied the, the time and effort into making changes where I saw fit. Um, so I'll leave this with you guys. You cannot turn on the oven at 900 degrees and expect a, to cook a cake in five minutes. <laughs>
1: You're going to fry that bitch.
0: <laughs> right. So I'll, I'll just leave it at that. That's um, a good
1: one to leave on, man. Yeah. I dig but it.
0: Thanks guys. Uh, you know, keep the comments coming. Um, I'm sure that uh, I'll probably drop a little real quick video for our visual learners out there. But uh, until next time, guys, keep your face in the gun. All right, guys. Shoot well.